The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Tuesday, January 29th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Taping this from our hotel room in Atlanta, site of Super Bowl 53. often do this at Radio Row, but there really isn't much happening at Radio Row from the standpoint of having guests come through. And it will ramp up on Wednesday, and hopefully the Wednesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast, and Thursday and Friday, if I'm able to throw them together, will feature some of the guests we will be speaking to as the rest of the week continues to push towards Super Bowl 53. But for now, I guess it's because the Patriots are one of the teams here. They've been here so often. They are such a tough team to really get anything good from. And I know that Tom Brady has had those comments from a Rams defensive back, Nikel Roby Coleman, which makes things a little bit more interesting to the extent that Roby Coleman is poking the bear and Tom Brady is quietly acknowledging that the bear is eventually going to poke back. We'll get closer to the game and we'll have our take. I'm currently leaning toward a Patriots win, and I could see a set of facts where it's an old-school, boring Super Bowl game where it's a blowout. We haven't had a good old-fashioned blowout in a while, and inevitably there will be another Super Bowl blowout. We have become accustomed to these Super Bowl games being close and exciting and down to the wire. When I look at this Rams team, when I look at this Patriots team, when I look at how much experience the Patriots have, when I look at the fact that the Rams have a very combustible defense with some strong personalities who may easily break if they encounter real adversity, I could see Bill Belichick trying to load up a game plan that is aimed at causing that Rams defense to break, to fracture, to mentally give in before halftime or at least by the middle of the third quarter. I could see the Patriots win this one going away. And again, it's not a popular choice because, number one, so many recent Super Bowls have been close. And number two, we want it to be close. We want it to be exciting. We want to root for a memorable game. We want a game that is going to hold our attention, a game that is going to feel compelling, a game that is going to go down to the wire. Eight prior Super Bowls involving the Patriots with Bill Belichick as head coach, and Tom Brady is the starting quarterback, have indeed gone down to the wire. One-score games. The Patriots have never won a Super Bowl by more than six points. And the one time they won by six, it was when they won in overtime. I just think there's a real chance that that is not going to be the case this time. I think there's a real chance that the Patriots are going to drop the hammer on the Rams. And the Rams will be back under Sean McVay. The Rams will be competitive. They'll be contenders. I just right now, and I haven't made my final decision yet. We'll make it later in the week. But as of right now, I find myself thinking that the Patriots are easily going to get their sixth Super Bowl win. And I know that's not what we want, but it may ultimately be what we get. We got a ton of content at PFT. 
Several of the writers are down here. Everybody except Curtis Crabtree is here. Shereen Williams is here. MDS, Josh Alper, Darren Gant. And it's like any other business day. Constant, constant flow of stories. Now, things are hectic for me over at Radio Row. What I end up doing is our morning show, PFT Live, from 6 to 9. And then I tape plenty of radio spots after that, both with NBC Sports Radio affiliates across the country. I try to take care of those folks since they run all or part of the show. And also, I've got my weekly radio spots that I do. Not every radio station I do business with is here on site, so I do some by phone. But we've made the rounds to a lot of the radio stations. That slows me down from the standpoint of posting content on the website. But we've got these other folks who are cranking away, keeping you up to date with everything that's happening around the league, plus also anything that is relevant pertaining to the two teams. And there will be plenty of media availability between now and the end of the week. There'll be plenty of news, plenty of quotes, plenty of statements, and we'll continue to synthesize those and produce all those. I'm not going to run through the news of the day since the conclusion of PFT Live. I'm just going to defer to what we have at the website. A lot of it is transactional. There's coaching staffs being rounded out. There's an anticipation still that Brian Flores will be the next coach of the Dolphins after the Super Bowl and that Zach Taylor will be the next coach of the Bengals and we'll have all of that done. And it would be a shock at this point if either guy goes the way of Josh McDaniels and doesn't end up taking the jobs in Cincinnati and Miami, respectively. That'd be Taylor with the Bengals and Flores with the Dolphins. So not as hectic of a week as it was last week, especially since the furor has died down to a certain degree with the Rams-Saints aftermath. On Wednesday, though, the commissioner will meet with the media. It's expected that he will address the situation involving the missed call. I don't know what he'll say, and I don't know whether he will outline any concrete strategies for preventing that kind of thing from happening in the future. That's what I'm going to be listening for, though. What will the league do, and what will the commissioner say the league is going to do in order to avoid situations like this from occurring again. That's why it's important that the league acknowledge the mistake, not because we want to see the league rub its own face in its debacle. We want a commitment that this kind of thing isn't going to happen again in the future. And if it's sufficient for the league to hide under the bed until the heat dies down and then move on, it's more likely the league won't do the things that need to be done in order to prevent this kind of stuff in the future. And here's my concern for the league. At some point, there will be a controversy. At some point, there will be a call. At some point, there will be an outcome that has millions of dollars changing hands as a result of legalized gambling that will cause Congress to say, wait a minute, we regulate the stock market to an extensive degree. We will regulate professional sports. We will regulate the NFL. We will oversee the NFL with a federal agency that is responsible for ensuring that officiating is better, for ensuring that there are no issues with integrity, for ensuring that there is no bias that is creeping into these decisions. And if the NFL isn't going to improve its officiating function on its own, then Congress will create a body that does it on the NFL's behalf. And that's the last thing the NFL should want. That's why it's critical that the NFL act on this before Congress comes up with a solution that the NFL doesn't want. The last thing the NFL wants is anyone else telling the NFL what to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why this concept of a video official that we've been proposing for years, that Mike Pereira is proposing, that Dan Rooney years ago suggested to Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, 
I think that's not gathering any steam, ultimately because the league doesn't want outsiders telling it what to do. Well, you know what? Sometimes people who have a vested interest in the success of the NFL, but who aren't actually working for the NFL, they've got some good ideas. And if the NFL were smart, if it were well-run, if it were well-managed, if it were a beacon of leadership for other sports leagues and other businesses, it would welcome any and all ideas that anyone would be suggesting, not worrying about how it would look if, God forbid, the NFL were to implement an idea that someone who resides beyond the ivory tower that is 345 Park Avenue might suggest. By the way, when your battery loses its power, you lose the ability to get out, get around, and get things done. When it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the Superstart battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. Whether it's reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, O'Reilly Auto Parts has a Superstart battery that you need at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. All right, I'm going to answer some of your questions. Look, this is going to be a fairly short version of the PFTPM podcast, but I promised to do one, and I've asked for questions, and I have plenty, so I decided I'd better go ahead and do it, lest I have the PFTPM posse track me down here in Atlanta and uh, do bad things to me. PFTPM posse has a question. Is there anything of substance or value actually gained from opening night by people like the PFTPM posse who are the more informed fan or is it mostly for entertainment, non-sports people these days? I don't gain anything from it. I was talking to somebody who was there trying to interview some of the players. The problem is NFL Network has taken this thing over. It's a TV show now. So if there's a player you're trying to interview and someone from NFL Network is interviewing one of the big stars like Willie McGinnis with nine minutes at the podium talking to Tom Brady and is blaring over the loudspeaker at this venue where they claim 10,000 fans showed up, although Chris Sims suggested it wasn't that many. How can you have a meaningful conversation if you can't hear what's going on? So it has become a TV show. It has become an NFL Network event. And people who are there trying to actually do work, do journalism, they are less and less of a priority. Not that I would be there to do journalism or do work. I get claustrophobic in situations like that. I went to one of those things 10 years ago and I decided at that time, I'm never coming back to this. It's not useful. It's not beneficial. It's not relevant to anything that we do. We're not gonna get anything there that helps us in any way. Now I send people there from PFT and we had some stuff posted and I paid attention to the things that were being generated. But I'd rather focus on giving you the best possible shows that we can do, especially PFT Live. We try to set up some interesting guests every day of the week to get you some relevant information, not just about the Super Bowl teams, but about some of the other things going on around the National Football League. So I don't know how useful it is. I don't know how important it is to hear Nikhil Roby Coleman backtrack on the things he said about Tom Brady. I don't know how important it is to hear Rob Gronkowski say he doesn't know whether or not his last game is coming on Sunday. It's part of the spectacle. It's part of the event. I'm just glad they get it out of the way. On Monday night, PFTM, PM Posse, what does Tony Romo do to top what he did in the AFC Championship game for the Super Bowl? Well, you know, there are people who wonder whether or not Tony Romo comes off as knowledgeable and prescient when predicting the plays that are to come if he doesn't have the extra access that comes from being a member of the CBS broadcast team, going to practice meeting with coaches and players. How much of it is gleaned from his knowledge of football? How much of it is gleaned from his knowledge specifically of the teams? Think of how many Patriots games he's done over the years. How much has he picked up? 
by studying the Patriots extensively? How much has he picked up by talking to people like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? Does it put Tony Romo in a unique position to have that inside information that allows him to know what's coming? And how many other broadcasters could do the same thing if they wanted to? I think some guys stylistically don't like to do it because the audience doesn't necessarily appreciate hearing what a play is going to be before the play happens. It's the same idea as having the first round tips or the first round picks, excuse me, tipped during the draft. You just want to see it all play out. But Romo was impressive, and there is no doubt about that. I think we have I think we have Kurt Warner at some point this week. I was thinking of a roundabout way that I could ask him that question. In a way that wouldn't be offensive, in a way that wouldn't be kind of a jerk butthole type of a hey, why don't you do the same thing that Tony Romo does. Why does he do it and why does no one else do it? My guess is some of the other broadcasters probably resent the attention that Romo gets and they think, you know what, we could do the same thing if we wanted to. Is that true? Is that accurate? I don't know. It's something I need to find out at some point. I'd love to know how much of this is unique to Tony Romo, how many others could do the same thing. I've seen people like Sage Rosenfels claim on Twitter that anybody that was a quarterback for 15 years in the NFL should be able to pick up the things Tony Romo picks up. But if it was that easy, I'd think that other people would be doing the same thing. Terry Gensler, 14. Can you get Sims to tell us the other thing that he does that makes his morning great on PFTM? Yeah, he was talking about two things that he didn't want to mention. And he's funny. There's no subtlety. There's no subtlety at all with Chris Sims. And he will make the subtle remark and then he will go the rest of the way to make sure you understand what he's saying when he doesn't really need to. And that's just part of his overall charm. Uh, so there are several references to that. On, uh, on the questions that are being posed today by the PFTPM posse. Leapers 500 asks regarding the Broncos and John Elway being high on a quarterback as he is on Drew Locke. That seems to be the kiss of death. How can he be so awful at evaluating talent at the position he dominated? Or is it that all those players were ill-served by the coaching present? I, I think that the biggest challenge, I know the biggest challenge when it comes to evaluating a quarterback is projecting any success that that quarterback has had at the college level to the NFL level by virtue of the quality of defensive backs that the quarterback has faced. I remember someone telling me several years ago when Geno Smith had 25 touchdown passes and no interceptions through five games with West Virginia that after a game against Maryland, if Maryland had actually had a competent safety, that safety would have had three interceptions in that game alone. So it's taking what a quarterback does against college-level defensive backs and projecting that to success or failure at the next level. And look, John Elway picked up Peyton Manning. That really didn't take a whole lot of brain power. Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning. The only risk there was that Peyton Manning wasn't going to be the same Peyton Manning that he's always been because he was recovering from injury. But Elway has whiffed on Brock Osweiler, arguably, although Osweiler had some moments. Trevor Simeon was a seventh-rounder. Paxton Lynch was a washout. So far, Case Keenum has not been great, although he was somewhat established at the NFL level. Elway knows he needs to get a great quarterback or his time in Denver is not going to last nearly as long as we thought that it would. Adam Nanini has a great question as we close out the NFL season. Have you picked a favorite AAF team to root for? I have not. I'm very skeptical of the Alliance of American Football. I, I want it to be successful. I want there to be more football that we care about. I just wonder whether or not we are going to care about it. And it is coming the week after the Super Bowl. The 9th of February is when it debuts on CBS and CBS Sports Network, and we'll see how it goes. But for now, 
I don't have any geographic connection. There's no player or coach that I'm specifically rooting for. So I'm just going to watch it with an open mind and see if I gravitate toward one of the teams. I hope it does well. I don't know whether or not it will. And I've gotten my hopes up about alternative leagues too many times, thinking there is more room emotionally, financially for other football leagues and hoping that they do well, and then they ultimately don't, and they go away. So why get attached to them if they're eventually going to go away? Let's see what the AAF can do. Let's see what the XFL can do next year. Maybe one of them, fueled by legalized gambling, can be successful. Reverend Markworth, do you wish the Super Bowl was in Minnesota this year? Lows of minus 26 and wind chills around minus 50. I, look, I loved Minnesota. Now, I don't know how much I would love walking out into something like that, Maybe it would freeze the mouths of the sports writers who incessantly complain about wherever the Super Bowl is, and they find a way to complain about something in every Super Bowl city. And there's never going to be a perfect Super Bowl city. There's always going to be an issue. In L.A., there's going to be traffic. I don't know what the issue is in Miami. I would prefer it be in Miami every single year. Miami, New Orleans, places like that. But I'll go wherever it is. It's a privilege to cover the sport. It's a privilege to be at the Super Bowl. And that that snowstorm, that worst-case scenario of drum roll please, one inch of snow that was supposed to hit Atlanta. It did not hit. And I'm, I'm watching the sunset right now. And I know it's cold out, but the city is not paralyzed because there wasn't a single flake of snow that fell on this day that was supposed to bring snow and potentially ice to Atlanta and the surrounding metropolitan area. But Tyler Fornes points out that the minus 60 wind chill is predicted tonight in Minneapolis. But on Saturday, the high will be 38. Welcome to Minnesota, he says. Sean Alvishire, idea to fix the Pro Bowl. What about having an AAF All-Star game and have NFL coaches? I'm not even finishing the rest of it. No. There's nothing you can do to fix the Pro Bowl, and I don't think the NFL wants to do anything with the AAF. That would be the outset of the AAF season. I just think the Pro Bowl is a joke. I think the Pro Bowl is a waste of time. I think the Pro Bowl isn't reflective of quality NFL football, but as long as 8 million people are going to watch it, the NFL is going to continue to stage it, and they won't complain about it because what happens if you huff and puff enough? You've got to blow the house down, and they're not going to blow the house down because they're not going to give up that captive audience of 8 million people for something that generates revenue and doesn't cost all that much in the grand scheme of things. Black 88 Elite, will the winner of the Super Bowl go to the White House? And if so, what will Trump serve for dinner? I don't know whether or not they'll go to the White House. Did the champion last year go? Did the Eagles go? They didn't go, did they? Remember, they all got uninvited. They ended up canceling it. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of become a given that the major, I don't know, basketball and football teams don't go. But didn't, didn't the hockey champions go? Wasn't that, it was like a thing and it's kind of petered out and people don't pay much attention to it anymore. But I don't know if the Super Bowl champion is going to go. Niners Forever 16, since you happen to once be in the same room as Sean McVay, do you expect to be called for coaching openings now? No, that's, look, they'd have to get very hard down the list of potential head coaches before they'd ever call me. But it's that connection to Sean McVay that is fueling a bunch of coaching decisions. And you just wonder whether or not these teams are going to regret it, especially when you consider, and Peter King was talking about this today on PFT Live, the knowledge that Josh McDaniels has. Why didn't someone else make a serious run at McDaniels this year? Why didn't someone else navigate and investigate and explore why McDaniels ultimately did change his mind about going to the Colts? Was it the Patriots mobilizing and convincing him not to go? Was it something that McDaniels saw or heard or concluded? There just weren't enough teams that, that did the due diligence with McDaniels this year because apparently they, they held a grudge. Why would you deprive yourself of a potentially great coach 
just because he didn't go to Indianapolis last year. I am amazed that the Browns didn't take a closer look. I'm amazed that other teams didn't take a closer look and that only the Packers interviewed Josh McDaniels and that the Packers went with an inexperienced Matt LaFleur instead of McDaniels, who I don't know how LaFleur is going to do as a head coach, but I'd like to think McDaniels, after a failed stint with Denver and after additional years of seasoning in New England, when he finally does take a head coaching job, he's going to do well. Tyler Fornis, what would be the crazy off-the-wall question you would ask on Super Bowl Media Day? I I don't know. I don't even think about it. I don't even think about it because I don't want crazy off-the-wall questions. I mean, if we're going to have fun, if we're going to have a a loose and entertaining and engaging interview, I'd rather do it face-to-face at PFT Live with Chris Sims there, maybe Peter King as well. We had fun with Deshaun Watson today. I I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of trying to make it about you by asking some crazy question. It's not about us. It's about the players. It's about the game. It's about the sport. And I hate that. That sounds kind of stodgy and old school, but... The idea of going and showing, going, you know, I'm not a comedian. I'm not going to be like PFT commenter and ask Todd Gurley about whether or not he wants to own cats and cats poop in the house and Gurley says I poop in the house too. And that was funny, but that, that's just not, not my style. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't go to the thing. Jay Randall 15, are you able to do anything non-football related while in Atlanta? If so, what? Well, the wife and I went to the mall last night, although in Buckhead, it's not a mall. It's like every nice store you've ever imagined crammed into one facility. So I actually did a little shopping, got out and added more steps on top of the five or 6,000 I got yesterday walking around at the Radio Row in the Media Center. We spent some time at the mall. It's when I'm not working this week, I try to just relax a little bit. I don't know what else there is that I would do here. My wife's gone out and done a few things that I think that if I had more time, I would want to do. But I really don't want to stress myself out even more because the days are packed. And I know Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of Super Bowl week is something that can be very draining. So I try to relax in the evening, have a good meal, work on the website, and reload and recharge for the next day. But looking forward very much to going to the Super Bowl on Sunday at the new stadium and then heading home on Monday and getting right back to the grind as we move toward the scouting combine, free agency, the draft, and lather, rinse, repeat. It's every year. It's that same template. It's that same formula, and we are already fairly deep into the offseason, and before you know it, we'll be in Indianapolis for the scouting combine. James McDonough, Dr. J144, what was your proudest moment as a lawyer, anything like a My Cousin Vinny moment in which you broke a case wide open and flipped it in your favor or something? I, you know, that's a great question. I, I didn't try nearly as many cases as I wanted to in the 18 years that I practiced law. You get fooled into thinking by TV shows and movies that you're going to have trials all the time. It doesn't work that way. Most cases settle. And the only cases that ever went to trial were the ones where there was no real chance of settlement. Because when I represented individuals who were trying to get justice from their former employers, or every once in a while somebody who had suffered an injury, although I didn't like handling those cases, it just takes an emotional toll. And I don't like taking, see the way it works is, because the clients can't afford to pay you by the hour, you take a percentage of what you recover. And I didn't want to take a percentage of what I could recover for somebody who had suffered a serious injury unless they really had no hope and the insurance company was saying, we're not going to give you any money and we need to do something very creative. And I guess the proudest moment would relate to one of the injury cases I had. And I may have talked about this before where I represented a gentleman who was riding his bike cross country and there was uh, a person who was driving a car and she fell asleep behind the wheel and she she wrecked into the, the man who was riding his bike cross country and, and he didn't die, but he was seriously, seriously injured with profound cognitive problems going forward and he was going to need lifetime care. 
And in reviewing a giant stack of documents in a creative effort to try to find as much insurance coverage as I possibly could, I stumbled over a page. And I remember where I was sitting when it happened. It was a huge stack of documents. I was exploring the availability of a specific type of insurance coverage based upon the fact that the car had been purchased not by a normal transaction where you buy and finance, but you lease the car. And I was able to find through the bank that that owned the car while it was leased to the person who was driving, I was able to make the argument that there was a broader insurance policy in play, and it was all based upon one document that I found. And this was, what, 18 years ago? I remember looking through these documents, and what they do is they'll give you a giant stack of documents. And I say they, I mean anybody who is trying to make it harder for you to do your job. They will flood you in paper, and you get a giant stack, and you have to look for the needle in the haystack. And the needle may not even be there. You're going through a haystack, straw by straw, looking for the possibility that there will be a needle, and there may never be a needle, and you may miss the needle, and you may never know the needle was there, but you have to look, and that's the only way to know. Every page, you have to look at it, you have to study it, and you can't give in to the monotony of page after page after page. And I remember finding one document. I should have saved it. I should have framed it. I found one document that fueled the argument that there was a significant insurance policy available, a significant amount of money that would help compensate this individual at a time when he really needed it. Now, he was getting governmental assistance through Social Security, but I was able, by finding that document and by finding that insurance coverage and ultimately settling the case with a very aggressive argument that this insurance policy, a massive insurance policy, was available to be rated over and above whatever the basic insurance the driver of the car would have had because most people have low levels of liability insurance in West Virginia and in most states. It, it still may be that you only have to have $20,000 in liability insurance, which is nothing nowadays. I don't know if they've increased the limits. I've never seen that they have, but it's nothing. So to find this other policy that put $2 million in play for this individual and to allow him to really improve his quality of life on something that there was never gonna be a settlement, there was never going to be any type of additional compensation, but to to be able to make that argument, to be able to settle that case, all because there was this giant stack of documents and I happened to be paying attention at the right time when the right document crossed my field of vision and to later take that and turn that into the argument that unlocked that insurance policy, that that was a pretty good moment. And, you know, you'd like to say it was a moment in court, and I've had moments in court where, you know, you feel like, hey, you know, I really pulled something off there, questioning a witness or asking the right question at the right time or making the right argument at the right time. But for me, it was just having the diligence and the dedication, and it, it proves something to me, and I think it's a lesson to everyone, everyone else. It's just a matter of always paying attention to everything that you do and never overlooking that one little thing that may be staring you right in the face that can make all the difference in the world. And uh, who knows, if, 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 if I hadn't been determined to look at every single page and study every single page in this giant stack of documents, maybe I never would have seen it and we never would have had any success for the guy. And uh, that, I guess that would be, of the 18 years that I did it, probably the proudest moment that I was, that I was awake and I was paying attention when that one key document found itself right in front of my face. On tour forever, what's the most tired narrative of this year's Super Bowl, age of the two coaches, age of the starting quarterbacks, or how the Saints got robbed? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, the whole, you know, I, I, I mean, each Super Bowl has its narratives. I, I don't know that there's a tired narrative, that they're just narratives. And, you know, there's nothing like 
Uh, Jerome Bettis is from Detroit, right? That got very tired. I don't sense one yet that has been beaten into the ground. But I think every story we've talked about is relevant. The Saints did get robbed. There is a huge gap between the coach's age. There's a big gap between the quarterback's age. There's a big gap between experience of the, of the coaches and the quarterbacks. Those are all relevant. There's reason to think Rob Gronkowski is going to retire. That's relevant. We're talking about one game and a two-week buildup. And I don't sense anything yet that I would regard as a tired narrative. All right. Uh, before I continue, I should discharge my obligations for our friends at On Deck. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that On Deck is a service that is available to small business owners who may need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading office space. Getting access to capital is incredibly challenging and time-consuming for small business owners because most traditional banks lack the technology and the resources to truly understand a small business, and they'd rather just lend money to larger, more established businesses. OnDeck is 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get funding in as fast as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. The application process is simple, and it will not impact your personal credit. OnDeck has loaned more than $10 billion to more than 80,000 small business owners throughout the United States. And if you are a small business owner and you need access to capital, go to ondeck.com slash PFT right now. That's ondeck.com slash PFT, O-N-D-E-C-K.com slash PFT for a free consultation, which is available to the listeners of the PFT PM podcast. You can apply online or by phone to get approved in minutes, O-N-D-E-C-K.com slash PFT. All right, let me take a few more questions before we wrap this one up. Again, I can't go on for a full hour today. I want to go get some dinner and get back to work on the website and start planning out tomorrow. We've got a big day tomorrow. We've got Danny Amendola. We've got Dan Marino live on the show. Pat McAfee's going to stop by. Josh Jacobs, the Alabama running back. Jamal Adams, the Jets defensive back, plus plenty more as we push through Wednesday and get ready for Thursday. PFT PM Sleeper Cell asks for betting information on the Puppy Bowl. Do, do they still do the Puppy Bowl? I'm more interested now in the Puppy Bowl than ever before because I have a puppy or at least had a puppy. I mean, does 70 pounds count as a puppy? She's still technically a puppy, but she's also like part bear. Findemonium, based on what we've seen this week in conversations with Brian Flores, what can we expect from him as a leader in Miami? Any, any indications of what he and Chad O'Shea would like at quarterback? I, I don't know what Brian Flores is looking for as a coach. I know he's well-respected and there's a belief that maybe he will break from that Bill Belichick coaching tree mold where most of these guys, see, I think what happens is most of these guys say they want to be their own man, but the years of being with Bill Belichick can, I think, warp you into thinking that you are being your own guy, but you're still being too much like Bill Belichick because you've been around him for so long. You, you don't know what it's like to not be at least at some level like Bill Belichick. Because that's what you've seen as a head coach. That's been the leader of your organization. And Peter King pointed out today on PFT Live that when you walk into that meeting room for the first time as the head coach, they're not going to respond to you the way they respond to Bill Belichick because Bill Belichick has the success and the experience. So when, when you start, it's, go, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be odd because they're not going to be in awe of you. You have to win games. You have to compete for championships before you provoke the same response. And I think the challenge is... To find who you really are, to strip away that influence that being around Bill Belichick can create and not be like him. You almost have to detox yourself of any Bill Belichick. And look what Matt Patricia dealt with in Detroit this year. I think as much as Matt Patricia wanted to be his own guy, Matt Patricia could not get away from the reality that he was with Bill Belichick for 15 years. And Flores has been 
been with Bill Belichick for a long time as well. Can he set that aside? Can he remember who he was before he ever worked for Bill Belichick and truly be his own person and not try to be or, or unconsciously attempt to be just like Bill Belichick? I think that's the real challenge. The C.J. Newman wants to know how Atlanta is. I got no problem with Atlanta. I, I, I like Atlanta. It's, I've never been to Atlanta other than to be at the airport. It's, it's not a, a huge you know, downtown area. We've been to some nice restaurants already. The hotels are nice. I've been around to a few of them. The convention center is gigantic. It's so much more space than what we had last year when we were crammed into some confined quarters at the Mall of America, which I loved. I mean, I think every Super Bowl at this point, I've been to 10 now, or I think this is number 11. It's, it's, it's a special experience. The NFL does it the right way. It's, an, it's a big time uh, deal. And, uh, you know, I like being in Atlanta. Now, is Atlanta a place that I would put in the, in the Super Bowl rotation? Is it a place I'd want to come to every three or four years? I don't know, probably not. I think the best places would be Miami, New Orleans, maybe L.A. I don't know. We haven't done one there yet. That's coming up in three years. Las Vegas is inevitably going to join the rotation. The quality of the venue and also the things that the city has to offer, the weather is a factor. But I don't know that Atlanta, as nice as this stadium is, I don't know that Atlanta is going to force its way into the rotation. But we're having a good time here. And, uh, you know, we, it's... There's so much work that needs to be done. It's hard to really spend a lot of time exploring the city, critiquing the city. And, and you know, you just get around to different parts of the country and uh, you, you add to your broader set of experiences. I like Atlanta so far. I love the Minneapolis weather and all. And, uh, you know, by the end of the week, hopefully I'll know a lot more about Atlanta and, uh, and I'll, I'll want to come back at some point, just like I, I want to go back to the Twin Cities whenever we get a chance to do it. Mike likes dirt. Who would you rather be texting buddies with, McVay or Belichick? I, I'd like to be texting buddies with Belichick just because I'd, I'd be curious to see how he'd communicate, what kind of emojis he would use. Would he spell out words all the way or would he like go T-Y instead of thank you? Like, like how detailed would he be? Would he actually waste his time articulating the full word? Does he do voice to text and would it screw up from time to time? And would it be obvious he was doing voice to text, especially the way he grumbles? I'd, I'd, I'd be far more interested in, in learning more about the mind of Bill Belichick based upon the way that he would conduct his text exchanges. At the C.J. Newman, where does Steve Young rank in your top quarterbacks? All time, I don't know. Somewhere in the top 20, I guess. I'd have to do the... Re- you know, it's, it's like when, when we look at the current NFL quarterbacks and we say, oh, that guy's top 15. And you start saying, oh, that guy's top 15, that guy's top 15. Before you know it, you have 25 top 15 quarterbacks. I'd have to sit down and, and do my full ranking. But I'd say probably somewhere in the top 20. Not one of the top 10. Somewhere between 10 and 20. Given career achievements, career accomplishments. He did make it to the Hall of Fame. But uh, I, I, I'd say somewhere between 10 and 20 would be my, my knee-jerk estimation. Kevin Irwin, three. Will Roger Goodell make a statement about the blown call? of having PFT Commoner arrested yesterday. Yeah, I don't think that one's coming up. And, and I don't think PFT Commoner was arrested. I think he liked to play that up a little bit. I think he just got kicked out because he was at the, the opening night festivities under a, a false name. He had done that a couple of years ago as well. And, and you know, the NFL, if they, they just need to lighten up. I mean, whether it's Dave Portnoy or PFT Commoner or Big Cat, I mean, these guys are part of the media landscape. And, and you make them more popular and you make them hate you more when you give them a hard time. Just let them in. They, they credential so many people to these events. They, these guys have a legitimate business. 
that that has done well and is popular and it, it helps them. You know, if you don't like them and you want to hurt them, you don't hurt them by freezing them out of these things. You help them because you, you, you help them perpetuate this renegade image that they revel in by making them illegitimate and then by daring them to try to get into your events. And look, they continue to find ways in. Terry Gensler 14, do you think if the NFL keeps the current overtime rules, the team with most yards from scrimmage should get the ball and do away with the coin flip? No, no, I, I don't know. Just do the coin flip. I, I No, I, I like the creativity, but I'd rather they just make sure that both teams get a crack at the ball, no matter what the specific format of overtime is. Terry Gensler 14, if the NFL would use a video official, should the line of them getting involved in change calls be personal fouls and pass interferences more than 15 yards down the field? No, I think if a video official is involved, that person can help correct anything that that person sees from the vantage point that we all see at home. Bridge the gap between what we see at home and what the officials see on the field. Agent Don Yee, really? Is that Agent Don Yee? Can you ask Chris Sims about how the hell he was selected first team USA Today high school All-American over Michael Vick. I will ask him that tomorrow. Is that true? Was he first team USA Today high school All-American over Michael Vick? Probably because his last name's Sims, and, and Chris would probably admit it. Matt in Beantown, this is one of the first Super Bowl media days where the NFL sold tickets and let fans enjoy the experience. How was it, and did it feel different from years past? I, I don't go. I refuse to go to it. Am I taller than Sean McVay? I don't know. I may be. I always think I'm taller than I am. Like when I stand next to somebody who's 6'2", I think I'm as tall as that person, and I'm not. I'm like 5'11". I don't know. I may be as tall as Sean McVay. I don't know. Dean Osborne, 42. Will Des Bryant play next season? What will his market be? I'm thinking something like a one-year deal for $1.5 million. Look, he's got to recover from that torn Achilles tendon. So I think he's going to have to wait until he can prove that he's healthy. And, you know, he... he Signed with the Saints, and the Saints were excited, and maybe the Saints are the ones who bring him back for next year. They could use the help at the receiver position. Those, those undrafted guys only take you so far. And if Des Bryant is feeling loyal and motivated and driven and determined, he could be a real help to the New Orleans Saints. Longhorn Justin, why do PFT podcasts get released as three podcasts instead of one and sometimes load hour three first? I'm sure stats has something to do with it. Not a big deal. Just curious. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I know it's three files every day, hour one, hour two, hour three, and that's just the way it is. At the Real Forno, with, what with uh, Mike Pereira's video official proposal, how similar is it to yours? It's the same thing. And I think, I think that I had Mike Pereira on PFTPM at one point or PFT Live, and I planted that seed. And I think he, he, and I'm not accusing him of stealing my idea. I think I planted that seed for him, and he liked it. I remember talking to him about something as it relates to officiating, and I think it was it, because I've been big on this video official thing for several years now, and I have a vague recollection of presenting it to Mike Pereira at one point and him really liking it. If any of you out there remember that, happening, let me know. I may have to go back and search through the PFT Live and PFT PM archives and listen to any interviews I did with Mike Pereira because I think I did put that seed in his brain. And whether it's me, whether it's him, whether it's the late Dan Rooney, the NFL needs to listen and have a video official to bridge the gap between what the fans see at home and what the officials see on the field. All right, I probably should wrap this up. Let's see if we have one more Case Steve's 13. Hey, Mike, I think the pushback against your video official stems from the idea this won't fix everything or replay still won't be perfect. It could be beneficial to your proposal to add duties to this position. What jobs should this new official have besides general oversight? It is general oversight. That's it. You have one job. You're sitting in the booth. You're watching the camera angles 
both in real time and the immediate replays that come from the truck that the broadcast network has in place, and you talk in real time to the referee. And as I've thought about this more and talked about it more, I believe it needs to be a former referee, a referee emeritus, somebody who has the authority who can talk to a current referee, and that referee will listen. Whether it's at Hockey League, Gene Sterator, guys who were referees, who maybe can't get it done physically anymore, who would say to the referee, drop the flag, and the referee would instantly drop the flag without questioning, without saying, are you sure? The referee would know that when I hear this person tell me drop a flag, I'd better drop a flag. All right. On tour forever, how is it possible 8 million people watch the Pro Bowl where they all tied down to chairs, clockwork, orange style, and forced to watch? I don't know how many of these people are dogs and cats who just happen to be sitting in the room with the channel already on ABC or ESPN. I don't know if the Nielsen people can figure that out. But the numbers are what they are. And as long as those numbers are generated, the NFL will continue to stage this game. And all we can do, and I don't want to call for a boycott. I'm not looking to gratuitously piss off the NFL. If people want to watch the game, they can watch the game. But I've got no interest in watching the game, and I don't know why anyone else does. One more. J. Randall, 15. Have you heard that teams contacted Tony Romo about a head coaching position? What do you make of it? I haven't heard that per se. I've heard like offensive coordinator or some sort of a position coach. But if you're Tony Romo, think of it this way. You're currently making reportedly $4 million to be the lead analyst for CBS. CBS wants to extend the deal. And if Romo wants to, he could play it out. He could become a free agent. He could write his ticket. He could name his number. Do you do that? Do you... Do you Gladly keep one of a small handful of jobs where you're doing a great job, you're being roundly praised, and you can do that for the next 30 or 40 years if you want to. Or do you throw yourself into this mix with 31 other head coaches or 31 other offensive coordinators, and you pin your career to the vague bounce of a ball, the things out of your control, the players who you think you can control but you can't. And you may be a brilliant coach, but if you don't win enough football games, you're not going to be employed. you got a lot of stress. I remember when... Terry Bowden left Auburn and got into broadcasting. He realized fairly quickly, this is a much better job because there are no wins and losses. There's a minimum level of achievement, and if you get there, you keep that job. And Tony Romo performing at the level he's at in the job that he holds, he could sit in that booth for another 30 years or more and make a ton of money and have a lot less stress. And also, remember this, when you work on a broadcast crew, when the season ends, you're done. And yeah, there's some things you're going to do and maybe you study some film and you talk to people, but it's not that round-the-clock obsession because we know the coaches continue to work all year round and they maybe get a few weeks off in June and July. And you have to worry about all your players. You have to worry about this. You have to worry about that. You have to do the draft. You have to do all of these other things. Tony Romo's getting that $4 million a year and he's golfing for a big chunk of the year and he's getting paid for what he does from September into this year, early February, because he'll call the Super Bowl along with Jim Nance. All right, that's it for today's PFTPM. We'll hopefully have some guests for you on tomorrow's edition. Some of the guys we're taping after the show, as I mentioned, Danny Amendola, Jamal Adams, and more. We will pump those interviews into the Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com, PFT Live, bright and early tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Radio. Simulcast airs, as always, on NBCSN beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern. Have a great evening, and we will talk on Wednesday. 
You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Tito's handmade vodka was ice cold, condensation trickling down the copper metal shaker. It's got to be fresh lime, they drawled. Tart, but balanced. They weren't normally this finicky about cocktail hour. But with Tito's, it had to be perfect. Simple syrup, the final ingredient. The sound of shaking filled the room to the brim. For the perfect pour at next week's book club, try the Tito's Gim Literature. Find the recipe at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. 